Hello, my name is Tyler Burnett, and this is Lo-Fi Lit, a new episode. I've been gone for a month. Today I'm talking to Kristen Felsetti. She is the editor of Bushwick Review. The old TV and the... Is that a DVD player? Uh, it's like a VHS player and like a... Yeah, I think there's a couple things back there. There's like a VHS player and then like a combo DVD VHS player. Do you take that with you when you go and travel? Um, I well, I don't not when I'm just like you know going on vacation or something to watch mm-hmm. movies, but I'll take it with me. Like I used to do, I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to do like sort of um, like VJ project projections. Like you know, if like a band was playing, I would do like visual projections in real time, and I would tote that gear with me, especially back when I lived in New York and stuff, and and did like uh, VJ gigs there. So that's from that era. But now just kind of. I'll still do that from time to time, but now it mostly yeah. just lives in my uh, office room shelf. Do you get like paid for that? And have you ever done that at like uh, readings? Um, I don't usually get paid for it. There's been a, a couple, one or two occasions where it's like a, a couple years ago, it was like a bigger gig and I did get like a few hundred dollars or something. Wow. I have done it before at um, readings. Yeah, I forget. There was one, there was one reading that I did, like, I guess at the end of 2019, and it mm-hmm. was kind of doing visual projections for a reading. It was, um, I think it was for Joey Grantham's book, Raking Leaves. It was a really oh. fun party reading to do that for. Do you have a VJ persona? No, I don't. I, oh. I Maybe I should, though. But yeah, because I feel like DJs have a, have a name. Yeah. So. Okay, so... Uh... Let me start this. This is Lo-Fi Lit with Kristen Felsetti, editor of Bushwick Review. Do you want to give a, yourself an intro? Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't really have one. Uh, yeah, my name is Kristen Felsetti. Um, I am currently based in Rochester, New York. Uh, I'm a writer. Uh, and yeah, I am the editor of the Bushwick Review. And yeah, it's nice. Thanks for uh, thanks for asking me to do this, Tyler. Uh, oh, no it's problem. really cool. This is awesome. I was listening to your your radio show back like 2012 that you put on soundcloud yeah they, so like, I, I know you mentioned that in the email thanks thanks for listening to that i haven't thought about that in a long time so it's cool to think about that and talk about that how did that come about and was that inspired by the hbo show bored to death you know that's a good question um i don't think so i'm trying to think about it. it's hard for me to remember because it's it was literally like ten, over 10 years ago that i mm-hmm. made that thing um i forget it was mostly just like it was kind of like before podcasts really became a thing too. So it was like, I was kind of just like picturing that it would be like an old uh, radio play, but like with like a modern sort of vibe. And uh, yeah, I remember somebody even saying like, you should release that as a podcast. And I remember literally saying to them like, what is that? And mm-hmm. you would never say that now, but it was just, I think I had the idea for it where it was kind of um, these two uh, brothers that are like kind of uh, become these sort of modern detectives and it wasn't really inspired by bored to death I've actually I knew that that was like a good I guess what you would call like comp at the time but I'd never yeah. actually seen that show really um yeah really? Uh, but I feel like it sounds like uh sort of dumber or something but like I think I was much more inspired by like uh you know like the BBC Sherlock or something like something yeah. like that like sort of how they like I think the the pilot episode to that um, it's a really good pilot. Like it follows that old story um, really well, but con- makes it contemporary, but also just has really good like plot threads. Like I wasn't yeah. like sort of imitating that story, but just sort of the way that the plot threads come together, I found was really satisfying. So that was 
like an inspiration. And then also like um, it, it's it actually comes before the show like Search Party, but another show that I haven't seen, but people who have seen that show said that actually is also somewhat like the New York Crimes was. Yeah, and I don't know, I just wanted to do like an old uh, radio play uh, at the time. And I also just like, it was kind of cool. Like all the people that I cast in it, they weren't like, most of them were not actors, you know. So yeah. it was kind of just fun to like, like the the two um, the two main brothers that play like Albert and Wallace. Like, uh, I think I came up with the characters, but then as I was writing it, like I knew I was going to ask my friends like Rob and Mac to play those uh, characters. So I definitely continue to write it with like them, their like voices in my head. Had you already started like recording it? Uh... And were you still writing it as you were recording everything or did you write it first? I wrote the whole the whole script first and then like asked everybody to be in it. And then um, like kind of uh, I think some of the smaller parts were recorded separately, but I tried to make it as like, um, you know, as in the way that like I don't think voiceovers actors usually do like where the, like the people that are in scenes together are actually acting yeah. together or something. Yeah. And like the tech, the technology that back then, like trying to record a podcast, like I tried to do a podcast all the way back then and it was like a lot more difficult and you, you really had to know your shit. Like you had to know like audacity and levels and stuff like this right here is so easy. Cause I just like push a button, I record it and then I rip the audio with like VLC and then I put it up. So did you have like task cams and like recorders that you went out like on New York, like the streets with to try to like record the ambio ambient audio with? You know, it's hard for me to remember because uh, it was back in the day, but I feel like th for like the sound effects type things, I did like maybe, I forgot what I recorded like the subway with or something, but that was before, like I didn't even have an iPhone at that time, right? Like oh, versus wow. like, I think if I were doing that now, it would be like, you could clearly just record ambient sound with your iPhone. I don't think yeah. it would sound super bad, um, but it's, it's, I don't know. I also think, I can't remember. There's like a, um, an external microphone you can buy like that's like zoom x4n or something and mm -hmm. i think that's what it's called and like i might have rented that briefly to sort of record ambient sounds and then a lot of the sounds in the thing are just like sort of um like free stock i don't yeah. know what they stock audio sound yeah. or something that you can download but yeah that that stuff was hard i think like I, because I thought you might ask me about this, like I was like, I listened back to some of it and like mm -hmm. listening to it now, it's like, it's like a little embarrassing, right? It's like, I mean, sometimes still... like the audio levels are really all over the place or it's just like, wow, someone really slammed that door really loud or I mean, something. You like went out and committed and did the entire thing. I think if I try to do something like that, I would like start writing it and then like quit after the first page and like go and do something else. I think the sort of, um, uh the fact that you kind of have asked everybody to do it though and told people about it that kind of holds you accountable right yeah. like like if i ask my friends to take the time to sort of you know at, come over to my house and read these parts and stuff yeah uh i, I want to hopefully finish the thing right so yeah, but yeah do you think do you think it's you're probably interested in it from like an audio perspective too doing podcast stuff is that something that you've ever thought about doing oh yeah all the time but like i never really thought of actually doing it i mean i had it in my head but like the thought of like asking people is like terrifying i think i would just to do all the voices myself or something well you could do something like that i feel that's yeah. something that like like do you know uh, miranda july that that writer and yeah. filmmaker mm -hmm. i think she used to do 
really audio play type stuff and she would just do all the voices herself oh yeah um, that makes sense yeah so you could you could do something like that but yeah you you know you gotta just i think people would ask i think i was much more like sort of uh bold or something 10 mm -hmm. years ago and i would just i'd be like so i've written this part for you and you're you're doing it right <laughs> like that yeah. kind of i would just have that sort of insistency that this was happening mm -hmm. uh but yeah i think if you just like you, you can get in a place where you're really shy and feeling awkward and sort of frozen about asking but then you can just ask and and for the most part like almost everybody i asked like said yes yeah it's Have like you thought no, about, everybody yeah you thought it, about making a sequel like 10 years later i don't know i i think uh maybe i would do should i do one for you <laughs> it seems yeah. like you liked it so you should yeah. also the thing is like i think everybody most people that are creative they really like to act a little bit right you know yeah. it's like it's kind of a fun thing to do it's like and it's so much more um like it's not like you're asking somebody to write something for something like it's it's yeah. like they just have to show up and like sort of have a have a good time but yeah yeah that have was you, fun have you been in any movies or have you been an extra in something i'm trying to think uh i have been in i've had some friends that like have done like short films and tv things and i think i've mm -hmm did small roles in that. I've never done like a professional acting thing. It was just like kind of same thing, like the reverse of the radio play thing where it's like people are asking me to play small parts in their projects. And then um, I've had like just a million jobs like over yeah. my life is like day jobs. And one thing I did do when I was in New York was be like, you know, like extras casting where you can just like, like there's like TV shows and you just, be a background actor for a hundred dollars a day or something. I, I used to do that too. That was a great gig, honestly, because you just like mostly just sit around until it's time to like come to set and you can just sit there and read books and stuff and eat like free food. Wow. Were you in like anything like notable that people would know? I mean, like I don't, I never watched the things back, but I remember like they were big shows that you were extraing for wow. like, um, uh, I don't know at the time like nurse jackie or like elementary or something wow. or um that's cool yeah or i forget like uh blue bloods or something yeah damn have you like written about that stuff being an extra yeah i never have but i always kind of think it's like a it's a it's a cool concept to maybe write about because it's such a it's such like an almost obvious metaphor right for things mm -hmm. you know if you're to be a a background actor and but not yeah. you know in something so like do you think that your like your your grind or your hustle it like comes from like you yourself or is it new york or is it like a combination of the two because i feel like in new york like art is just like everywhere and everyone's creating stuff like when i'm not i'm like i don't i live in Tulsa, oklahoma like no one's creating anything everyone's just like does day jobs and stuff like that yeah i think i mean i think like some of it does come from like when i lived in new york i think that culture is all around everybody has their projects and everybody's like you know that will like fuel like a competition in you and like a in a good way um mm -hmm. but i think also that some of it just comes from myself like uh i think that's just you know like why did i already start that way before i ever moved to new york and you know you see some of a lot of our like mutual friends and people we know they don't they all live all over the place right yeah. and they still have that that drive yeah, too so it's personality based but new york being in the environment certainly helps um and then 
also there's especially during certain eras in New York there are a lot of people that live there so that kind of helps too in terms of just like oh people that can be part of your thing or whatever I found one of your uh a Flickr account where you had like 995 like photos oh and my god were you trying to be like a photographer at one point and I'll, I'll let you answer that and then I have another question um I think photography for me will always be like a like something I enjoy and like a hobby, you know, it's like, especially in comparison to writing, it's like with film photography, especially like you can't really obsess about it in the same way as writing. You have to like sort of be in the moment and just like, you know, shoot the shot, you know? And and mm -hmm. I don't think I was ever like looking to be, I mean, granted, if somebody offered me a really sweet gig, I would take it. But yeah. uh, um, I don't think I was ever like really pursuing being a professional photographer. It was just like something that was like a, an enjoyable hobby for me or yeah i will but i'll sometimes do it as like a, a a small like gig thing like you know if somebody wants photos of themselves for like an author photo or you mm -hmm. know a cool portrait or something or band photo and then i saw like a, a picture where you posted where like you're at your parents house and you said like in 1991 you went to a mcdonald's and you got a happy meal and they were like giving out seeds and you like planted a tree with your parents and then like it, it like grew. Yeah. Yes, I did do that. Um, I I think in like yeah, and then like in the early nineties, I they were giving out like trees at McDonald's as like a I don't know, I have you know, like those like little happy meal things that you yeah. can get, like a gift. And I planted mine in like a little a little uh planter, uh, and then um I eventually it, it did well enough that it like got to be moved to the backyard and it kept growing. And so um, uh, it grew to be a big tree. And so, but eventually my parents moved out of that house, which is the house that I grew up in. So that was one of the saddest things more than the house, like uh, this tree that kind of grew with me. And then like, also, I mean, I don't know, I don't even want to find out, but like the, like if somebody that's moving into the house, you know, like they're mm -hmm. probably not going to like knock down the house or like my childhood bedroom but like they could have potentially cut down that tree. It might not exist anymore. So that's like sad to think about. Yeah. Do you think that's like tree is like a metaphor for your commitment to projects? Uh, I don't, I don't necessarily know about that. I haven't really thought about it, but um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I, I like, I like that it exists, I guess. Yeah. It seems like you do like, you like really commit to projects that when you're like, you go like all in. I would say that that is correct. I do go all in. Do you think you get that from your parents or just yourself? I would say probably just from myself. Yeah. They're not like, they're, they're very like, they're not like super creative or like creative project driven, but they're definitely like driven in the things that they do. Like, you know, they... like raising so... a family or, you know, uh, their jobs and stuff. You want to talk about them? Like, what does your dad do? Um, he, he was, uh, like a, like an admit, like an administrator. It's so weird. Do you sometimes like, just like not know what your parents did? Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> um, he, at our community college in Rochester, he was like, uh, he worked in like a director of like admissions there. So okay, cool. he like valued education very much. And then my mom mostly, uh, raised uh, me and my younger brother and then she once we were like elementary school age she went back to work as like a, a part-time uh, nursery school teacher so you grew up in Rochester 
I grew up in Rochester. I grew up in a suburb of Rochester, though, called Penfield, New York. Is that close to New York City? No, it is very, it is like, it, you would think so, like, probably not being in the state of New York, but um, it is like about, it's like a six and a half hour drive from New York City. Oh my city. God. Yeah. So I had never gone to New York City until I was like almost like, I don't know, like a late teenager. Like, I, like when people ask, like, oh, did you go into the city like on the weekends? Like, no, it was not, it was not doable. So, did you always want to go though when you're like a teenager? Yeah, I think definitely. Like, I think that, um, uh, it's like sort of if you're like somewhat of an artsy kid or something growing up then you're always kind of like daydreaming about new york city have you have you ever been yeah because my my like great uh or my grandma she's buried in prospect park because we're quakers and so i went with my dad in like 2017 i was there for like a few days it was pretty cool Nice. He, he wanted to go to like to all the touristy like attractions i was like i just want to walk around new york Where yeah you know? right that's yeah. that's the best part right just being oh, on yeah. the streets i remember like the first time i was there like you know i was just like walking a random street or something and i was just like i know it blew my mind that i was like walking on the streets of new york city or something yeah. so like how did you get into bushwick um I had just, I think when I first moved to New York, I lived in an apartment in South Park Slope for a few months, but then um, some of my friends from college were moving into this place in Bushwick that mm -hmm. um, I was like, well, I'll be roommates with you guys. That seems really fun. And it was uh, a place I ended up living for like eight years through wow. various different cycles of roommates. Like all those roommates eventually like moved on and, uh, you know, somewhat got more dignified places to live. Um, but mm -hmm. I still live in this place that eventually like became like kind of a party spot, like um, uh, like future remotes that live there. They kind of made it like a uh, a like sort of like art gallery space um, and things like that. And we had like pretty big parties there, whether it was just for somebody's birthday party or like sort of more art oriented parties. Um, yeah, and then so like I lived in the neighborhood. So when I started making like the Bushwick Review and stuff, I was just like, I don't know, I was like thinking about things like the Paris Review or something and be like, it'd be funny to call it that. And that also was like, you know, like the late 20, 2000s. So it was like Bushwick is kind of was thought like I think a little differently than it is maybe now or something. How is like, it twelve years ago? I think that I don't know what like honestly I've moved out two years ago and it's probably mm -hmm. who knows like it, you're still out of the loop after you move out it's just like I don't even know what people are thinking of now but I think that like um Bushwick at the time when I moved there was like a little more it was like people would even like real estate say it would call it like East Williamsburg because like people in their mind would think like oh Bushwick like you know really dangerous and like rough or something um and it, it wasn't really but like uh, i think that's just what uh how people were sort of thinking at the time um but you know nobody would think of that that way now i think it's like completely probably priced out to like live in in most of bushwick right now but yeah and and just also it, it always had like sort of a at the time like a hipster would be the word like vibe and you know like but like in also a good way there's a ton of different cool cultural stuff going on um and i also lived i think i think you may have talked about this place with other people on the podcast but i lived the block that i lived on no pages. I had that, 
Yeah, I lived on the opposite, like, like on this street, like the other side of the block was where Mellow Pages was. I was wow. able to go there like frequently. I mean, I wish I'd gone even more knowing that it wasn't going to last forever. But yeah, that, so Is that, that was- Is that where you met a lot of the people like Lucy? Yeah, like I definitely met a lot of those people first in real life, like, like around either at Mellow Pages or like during the Mellow Pages heyday or something. So did you know about it like before it was going to start, like before they were putting it all together? I think so because I think that um like Matt and Jacob that ran that space they they kind of like you know when it was starting to begin they like announced it on like Tumblr and stuff and like where it would be and so right when it started I knew that it was like oh this is like literally a block away from me That's cool. Did you help like contribute at all? Um I remember you could always donate your books to the library or mm. and like it was also a library so I definitely would give some of my books uh, to the library. And also I was a frequent like lender or borrower mm -hmm. of the library. So I would actually use it to like take out books that I was like enjoying and reading and bring them back. And obviously like I went to like a lot of the events and stuff there and readings. Did it like inspire you to create stuff? Definitely. I mean, it's just like that all like, uh, you know, just being in that environment and also just like sort of similarly minded people like, you know, sort of um doing things themselves and 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 also mm. being pretty it was a pretty like welcoming space too it wasn't like oh you like oh you're not like this kind of writer you can't like come here hang out or something and yeah i mean i had a and i had a bushwick review release party at oh. all pages one year too that's cool so did you ever mm, let me look at my questions oh have you ever thought about making like a Bushwick review like a, a exclusive to like Asian writers. I have not thought of do, doing that, um, but I did do a reading like that once. It wasn't okay. like ex exclusive per se, but it was like um, all an all Asian writer lineup. I did a reading like that once at Molasses. Are you adverse to doing something like that, like just making it about identity? I'm not adverse to towards that. Um, sometimes I feel like somewhat like conflicted about it like I feel that sometimes that uh like I think um I think I would love to have like an all Asian writing thing but it's just like I don't like if anybody of any identity is sort of like told or instructed to write about their identity right like mm -hmm. um I if you're Asian like nobody should be forcing you to like write about Asian things unless you want to right and I mean yeah. I think that goes for any like marginalized identity right mm -hmm. yeah, right, so I, sorry go ahead i was conflicted because i was thinking about once like starting like a, a magazine called like small gazing and like rochelle was kind of like helping me like put it together mm -hmm. and then like i just i felt just overwhelmed because i'm like i can't like represent anything gay or like if there was like just things in the news i would always have to be talking about it i felt like it was too much of a responsibility and i just it was very overwhelming and like do you do you make it where people have to write about being gay or can it just be like gay writers and like it got very i just like scrapped it oh well i mean i feel that i mean i don't feel that you should feel the responsibility to write about like every sort of gay topic yeah. there is in your zine you can only you know represent if it's if it's just coming from you you can you yeah. can only represent your unique experience which is worth hearing from and um yeah i mean i i 
I, maybe other people would feel differently, but I would think if you would have a zine like that, that definitely, you know, if it's all queer writers, they don't have to write about like queer topics. Like it's going to be queer to some degree because those writers are, they're just existing as they are and they should be able to write about whatever they want. Yeah. All right. So, oh, I feel like in all of your stories, in your fiction, it feels very like these people going on journeys and they're exploring uh, like their freedoms, like the, the story that you had in a uh, shabby dollhouse. It was like, it was like a love letter almost to New York. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I value like, I don't know, like, uh, I guess like some, like having some sort of like personal freedom, right. Where it's just like, mm-hmm. I, I think like like uh, somebody told me recently it's like you like arrange your life so that you can have like the most freedom as possible or you know and so I, w- I would say that's to some degree true like you want to have I don't know I mean that's like a broad statement like just freedom in general but I, yeah. I'm pro. <laughs> but like you travel around like the United States. Yeah like that like I I mean I have a job that's like remote I really I, I wanted that for like a long time because that like you know it means you're not tied to being in an office it means you can be, like live or work anywhere um mm-hmm. and then uh yeah i mean like i mean i guess it probably goes back to like the other thing that we just talked about where it's like i don't like any sort of establishment sort of telling certain writers what they should be writing or things like that as well you know like where do you see that I don't necessarily like see that anywhere, but like the thing that we just talked about before, where it's just like, mm-hmm. I feel that like maybe a little less so now, but I feel like a few years ago, like I feel like I would sort of see this sort of underlying like um, thing in publishing where it was like, we'll publish you, but you better like sometimes like stay in your lane and like oh, write yeah. about very specific things about like your identity and things like that. and. I should think that should only be the choice of like the writer if they want to do that, right? They shouldn't feel a pressure to do that. Yeah, it'd be like white liberal, like people that own those spaces and they'd be like soliciting those pieces specifically for identity. Yeah, like I think that that's that like sort of is off putting to me, right? Especially if it's not coming from the person that is of that identity, right? It's like, do they want a, a certain person to like educate them on a topic or? you know, just like, like look good because they have like addressed serious issues in their anthology or magazine. But honestly, you should be sort of open to like the whole full and messy realm of experience, I think. Mm -hmm. So you're putting, you were uh, writing a YA novel, right? I am writing a novel. I'm not sure I would call it YA anymore, but it is like a, a teenage narrator is she is the central figure and protagonist does that, does that genre bother you because it kind of bothers me um i'm not really sure if it bothers me but but yeah you tell me why it bothers you and then we well, can, we can like, dish we can dish <laughs> i just feel like I, I i feel like more people should be writing from like a perspective of like kids because i think they're more, much more complex than like people give credit to and just to like just because it's from like a kid's perspective or from a teenage perspective doesn't mean it's, it's just weird to put it like why with YA. 
Because that means it's like something lesser than literary than literature. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I didn't. I didn't like rethink it. Like as not YA because I had any problems with YA. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it was more just kind of like, I feel the, it's kind of hard to delineate like what is a YA book and what is like a literary novel with a teenage protagonist. There's like, there's no like rule of thumb. It's not necessarily the writing style by any means. It's like, I think it's predominantly like, who is the audience for your book, right? Like, is it actually mm -hmm. adults or is it like, um, teenagers or but it's also like that gets murky too because obviously like as a teenager I read adult books and yeah. it goes the other way a lot of adults also read YA but I don't know I guess I was thinking more when I really looked at it that the audience maybe is more um adults so that's why I kind of went down that path but yeah I don't know I, th I feel that like I also feel like when I was thinking that this book was YA I also read a lot more YA and yeah I think that people do show it like a lot of um disrespect sometimes or it's just like it's you know yeah there's like badly written or annoying books that are YA but that's like true of like any any group of books or genre and there's like a lot of really um good writing in that genre too so it's yeah I don't know I think I feel like teenagers and adults can read like the same books though why can't it be the same demographic right no I I agree with that where it's just like if your book was YA or something, that would immediately mean that you couldn't like, you might be, would it be considered for like some prizes or certain things? And I think that is kind of silly actually. And when you're writing it, are you thinking of an audience already in like in your head or are you just writing it? I don't think that? I'm really thinking of an audience in mind, right? Like, um, um, I don't know, I think. I guess like what makes something YA and what, what makes something like a literary? I mean, I don't really know per se. And it's like, I'm not like part of the publishing industry or like that business side. So I can't really say, but I think it is, it is like a lot um, of what I talked about before, like who is the audience for the book. Yeah. And then like that does kind of slant in like a little, like I do think this is a huge, like a broad stroke that I'm painting with, but I feel that there are some things like story wise and like voice wise that are very particular to like YA right now. Like it's usually written in a first person um, present uh, tense. Um, it usually has like no like looking back. Like, you know, like some novels where like the character's a teenager, but then like it jumps to when they're an adult or something. And it's like, mm -hmm. there's some, or even like the tone is written like clearly when they're adult looking back on their youth years, that would be a more adult novel. And then like certain things, I think that like, I mean, I think cer there's certain books that maybe are out there that are teenage, uh, narrator novels and it's it's maybe just because the author is like already has a history writing literary stuff that it's considered literary and also just I think I think YA this is once again a big generalization but I think uh, maybe has to sort of follow more like traditional like plot threads where you like if you have like a lot of like, side characters and stuff and like struggles and challenges you have to um, bring them together into some degree right like you have to like finish those storylines it can't be like super open-ended and sort of like opaque in the way that i think some literary fiction can oh, have yeah, more totally. allowances to do um yeah 
So what are your favorite like YA novels that are really good that like would probably that you would actually say are literary adult, I guess? Um, I would say uh, one writer, her name is um, Nina LeCur. She wrote a book called We Are Okay. That's like um, a really good YA novel. Um, and it kind of does, it kind of bucks like the thing that I just said, where it's like, it is sort of a more quiet like vibes novel that's like kind of literary and just more quiet. Um, and then um, what's, I, I just want to like get this, I'm looking this up so I can get the title correct. Um, it's a, it's, it's like a Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe um, by Benjamin Sainz, I think is the way you describe his last, say his last name. Mm -hmm. um, that was a really good YA novel too. Uh, the audiobook is uh narrated by Lin-Manuel Miranda, <laughs> but oh, uh, wow. um, but I thought that was a really good book too. Um, it's kind of about, and um, just like two uh, boys that kind of are just realizing that they're ultimately in love with each other. And, but I like it was, I like the quietness of that story and literally like, it's not a spoiler, but like the sort of, there's not a huge plot in that one either. It's like, literally it's just like kind of them coming to terms with their feelings. I also mm. really liked how the dialogue was written in that book. It's really like, um sparse there's not a lot of like dialogue tags and i think that is actually pretty rare for why like that is something that i don't really like as much in like you know like we don't need the like sort of like she says while like you know smiling you know that kind of like ex excess of like describing action and like mm -hmm. adverb to say how they said something like you could just write the, the dialogue right and yeah. i think he, he does that in that book and the dialogue in general is really good so that was something that i really remembered liking about that book I guess it's weird that I don't maybe I'm not a fan of like YA novels but then like when it comes to movies I'm totally gonna watch like a a movie with like teenagers about like coming of age or something totally like, me like, too. Really popular. Me too. I think it was maybe. like it's just sometimes it's just like a change of like thinking right like there's something that's yeah. like the way that the way things can be marketed are like pretty powerful yeah. and sticking I'm more your pissed head. off of the marketing yeah so you're just like you kind of just think that like oh I wouldn't like that or something yeah so what's with your what's going on with your yours? Um, I am querying it right now, which is like querying it to agents. Uh, do you want me to describe that processor? Sure, go ahead. It's just like kind of you essentially send like a, a query letter to an agent, and um, you kind of get various degrees. It's like a job interview almost. Like it's like wow. there's various degrees of of a response where it's like. You can just get no response. You can get a form response rejection. You can get a personalized rejection when you can get a full manuscript request, which is when they ask to like read your full book. Um, and I've gotten the full range of responses on that, but I do have the latter stage out a little bit. So you will see, fingers crossed. So it's like gonna happen? <laughs> no, not necessarily. There's definitely no, there's no guarantee that that's the have you... gonna happen. It's, it's really hard, honestly, unless you have like, I'm assuming some connections and even then I think it's it's hard it's just publishing is hard right now I think so what what do you think about uh you know going to Lucy and asking Lucy like would you put it out with the shabby doll house I would I mean I would totally do that I think I want to give this I've, I've talked to her a little about it like I want to give this a shot on like doing the traditional publishing route um mm -hmm. but I mean I would just I would love to work I think the best the most fun part about that I mean would just get to work with her on on that book and this is my I would want to send it to her just because not even public like I just trust her as like a reader that, yeah. that you want yeah 
And that'd be cool for like Shabby Doll House, like to publish a range of different genres that aren't like adhere to one thing. Like, I mean, yeah. even like Caroline's book is like a really long, apparently queer poem. And then like uh, Sebastian's is to- something totally different. Sort yeah, of no. Yeah, it's like a, a book versus something that's like more, I guess, a, a tra- traditional novel or something, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember the Lucy said on your on the podcast episode that she did with you that she was like thinking of writing a novel next. And I'm like, I hope she does that. I'd like to see yeah. um her writing style uh in like a traditional how that works in like a sort of quote unquote traditional novel kind of things where you like maybe fictionalize things a bit more to sort of have narrative momentum for lack like of a better word. Auto fiction. Yeah, I guess. I guess it would be or I don't, I'm not, you know, I still don't even really know what auto fiction fully is. It's basically, yeah. it's basically <laughs> fiction. You're just taking things from your life and fictionalizing them. I mean, that's literally what fiction is. So I don't yeah. know why this term came up. It's kind of silly. Well, that's what I don't get either. Cause like, that's what, I mean, unless like, I guess there's like some people that are writing really, really fictional, like every sort of character is made up. Um, but everyone to, most writers to some degree take some element of exactly. their their real life and real self and people they know into their fiction so and yeah and i mean everything is sort of autobiographical if you really but even if it's like the most fictional story right it's only you can only perceive things through your own experiences but i guess i guess what i perceive autofiction to be is like when it's sort of you're sort of minimally making things up so you are depicting things um like events as most as you can to your memory and maybe changing people's names and the the thing that really makes it fiction is in the auto fiction is like you could have me write about this podcast recording experience and you could write it and it could be two totally different stories and like the fiction part is that that like nobody can convey the same experience with like absolute objective truth or something yeah. I, that's what i perceive i don't know you know well, i think like it, is. like one example is like the uh the guy that wrote a million like little pieces and he was on oprah and then they caught him like lying about one of his friends dying and like or how they killed him like they didn't actually kill themselves and he wrote that they did yeah do you remember that happening on i oprah? do i do oh, vaguely remember when that happened and i also kind of like feel I don't know. Like, I kind of feel if that had happened at a later date, people wouldn't have, have thought it was such a big deal yeah, or something. Not, I don't know. Like, like, not a big deal at all. But yeah. I guess there is no. sort of a certain sense where it's like, if you're writing a memoir, like something that's billed as a memoir, like, you, the the idea is like, people, I think people go the other direction too, where it's like they realize that like nobody's memory is like completely reliable. But if you're just sort of, knowingly making things up i could see why people might get a little mad if that was and you're saying it's non-fiction yeah yeah and you're saying it's like non-fiction right versus like i don't think people would get mad if you were saying something was non-fiction you just like remembered a conversation slightly inaccurately or something but if you just made up a person that died that didn't you know I, i could see why people would get a little annoyed but it's weird because i know when i was young and i read like like autobiographies of like like sports people i like knew inherently that like there was a ghost writer writing it and a lot of those stories are complete bullshit they're just like sort of made up like um like a wrestler or something and it's just talking about when they were like a kid 
you know, and their their mom's cooking and everyone came around to eat their mom's cooking. Like, you know, that's kind of bullshit. It's not like the entire truth. I feel like that's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I guess maybe there's something when it's like a celebrity's memoir, you know that there's like a little bit of like tall tale showboating on it. So yeah. you're like more into that idea or something. I don't know. But yeah, I agree. <laughs> Would you be a ghostwriter for like a celebrity? um i mean i'd take the gig if it was like super well paying i suppose i think yeah. just because it would be it would be like an interesting experience and um you know but it would it would i think it would be a lot of work right like you would like even though it was a celebrity i'd still feel really devoted to the idea of telling their story well and making sure it's like a well-written book in collaboration with them so um yeah it would have to be a a good paycheck too i think what, what to if it was the a, time to it what if it was a celebrity like you hated but like it was like really well paying um I, I i don't know i don't really i don't really think that deep there's not like some celebrities that i like man i really hate so I, I don't hate, know yeah. i guess i guess if it was somebody i don't really think i can't really even think of an example of this but if it was somebody that like i was objectively opposed to like you know what if it was like, like donald they, trump I, I I guess maybe I would say no to that, right? Okay. <laughs> because it's just like there's no paycheck that like people would find out that it's you, right? So it's like the amount of like what you would lose by collaborating with that wouldn't be worth probably the honestly he'd probably rip you off and give you a really bad deal in that anyway. Okay. Hypothetically, <laughs> if no one ever found out and you would get like a billion dollars, would you do it? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. I, I, I'd, have, I'd consider it, but you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. Probably. This made good writing terrible. I mean, it would be terrible anyways. Well, yeah, because that's the thing too, right? Because it's like you could take the check, but then like I don't know, somehow subvert it from the inside or something. Right? Yeah. Well, I feel like but, a lot of those ghostwriters and the celebrities—they just like they literally just take a recorder and like tape the conversation. It's like literally just a podcast and they take those transcriptions and like kind of use hyperbole with the the stories that they get from the celebrities yeah i mean i don't know i don't know anyone that's done that but maybe that's true yeah. i don't know i guess i just feel that like any sort of writing it doesn't like i'm not someone that like can rewrite and edit super super fast so mm -hmm. it's like even doing something like that i think would take some time right it's yeah. like yeah have you uh have you Thought about doing like workshops online
I have not thought of doing any workshops online. I think if I were to do something like that, um, uh, I'd love to, I think it might be a little more fun to do in real, in real life. I don't know. I just, I, I think I would enjoy that more. It's like more fun when like you can, I don't know, maybe there's just like some zoom fatigue in me, but I think personally I would like teaching more if it was like in, in real life scenario. And also just that kind of like, I mean, I think that's what I like about, um, readings that are in real life versus mm -hmm. like zoom and stuff where it's like you, you also it's not just about the moment thing it's um the, the beginning and the after when you can have that sort of chatter oh, the zoom i uh, zoom readings the problem with zoom readings is that you get all these cool writers and then they just read their stories back to back to back and then it's over and so you don't get the experience of like hanging out with people and that's the best part of going to a reading is like just hanging out and chilling and so i feel yeah. like to do to do a zoom reading you have to do completely something different that's never real that people like haven't thought of where it's like entertaining and it's kind of a spectacle and maybe it's just like once like every you know six months or something and you make it over the top you know and then yeah. you have like an after party where you kind of turn if it's going to be recorded you turn off the recording and let people hang out or you could do like you know you could do like a mock like red carpet thing where it's like an hour before the actual reading you kind of have like two people host a kind of big red carpet thing where people come in they could just kind of chill and talk i don't know yeah i don't know it's really hard i remember like trying to like figure that out back when we were kind of all defaulted to zoom yeah anyway where it's like how do you how do you imitate that experience a little bit how do you make it mm -hmm. fun and stuff but mm -hmm. uh, yeah i don't I, it's really hard but it's like also like I mean, I'm still glad that some Zoom readings still exist because I think that's kind of the reality to bring some events together. There's also, it's like, you know, preferred for accessibility reasons for like a lot of people. And I oh, think yeah. that's important too. But yeah, I'm glad that the in real life readings are are back because I, I did, I missed that a lot, the lot, the, yeah, the hanging hang part. Rochelle Tamirno, she does like really great readings, like those, the peach people over there. I, I completely agree with that. I think she really knows how to, um, builds really great community and she also puts like a lot of thought and like planning into stuff like that and you went uh how about that ya thing you kind of you went to the tin house right yeah i went to like a like a tin house uh ya workshop um that they did uh and that, that see like that was so cool too because i was it was actually right it was like end of 2019 um mm -hmm. and like that was in real life where you um uh, it was you met in Portland, Oregon, but then th they had like a van that like drove everybody that was in the workshops to this sort of beautiful like old hotel. I forget what the name was um, on the Oregon coast. And like that's where you workshop. Right. And then there was just also so much more to that, too, where it's like I think it was a beautiful setting for a workshop. But you also were like hanging with people and like having dinners and just like filling on a beach. Like all that was really cool. Like I would, you know, if, if you further along, um, if I you know, write a published books or something, or I don't know, somehow land a lot of money where I can hold my own like workshops like that. Mm. I would love to do something like that. That seems like a really sort of magical experience. For Does Tin House like pay for everything or are you paying for a lot? No, of you, no you have to pay. Um, uh -oh. it's, uh, yeah. it's like a, like you have to get in and then you have to pay, but there's like scholarships and stuff for people too. Did you so, go to an MFA? I did not, no. Was that a, a specific choice? I don't really think so. like it wasn't really a like a, like I'm not going to an MFA or anything. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of was just like two things. It was like one like just life 
got away with me. I was like living in New York. I was working jobs, enjoying my friends and jobs. I didn't really want to like, I didn't really think about like applying to somewhere in like a different city. Um, I also like, I'm going to say this. I think this is very real about applying for MFAs. I literally was like, you, you have to like ask for like letters of recommendation oh, to shit, apply yeah. to MFAs. And I literally remember thinking like, even if I was just considering that process, like I wouldn't like have anybody that I could ask to 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 write that for me like you know like um you, you uh, don't know anyone that could do that I, maybe like i do now but i didn't when i was like 24 you know or mm -hmm. 25 i didn't have anybody like that you know yeah that's um, so stupid that you have to do that that's ridiculous to me i agree and i feel that um i, re I really like to see like a lot of residencies and um like you know i don't know just writing opportunities that have removed that like letter of recommendation yeah. or like requirement because it's like you talked about like how you like sort of freeze and asking people things like yeah. that's the one where it just like kills me right it's like if you were to ask somebody to like contribute to your zine or be in your radio play i think that's like a fun thing to do right it's like mm -hmm. the last thing i want people to have to do is like write a letter about yeah. me saying i should be in this thing right that's just like I mean, I can get over it, right? And I think most people would probably be happy to do that. And I am certainly happy to do that for anybody because I know it is such a, like a stressful thing, but it's just like, yeah, let's just get rid of that requirement. It's like made totally. by institutions that are like completely outdated. And like, what are they? And everyone knows they're bullshit. So why do they fucking keep doing them? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think some people are like getting rid of them. Like I know that, um, like the McDowell residency, it's like the most mm -hmm. steamed residency. Like they they just got rid of the letters of recommendation requirement. So that's a good thing. I noticed on your website, which I love. Like, how did thank you? First of all, how did you come up with the like idea for your website? Because it's like totally a very unique looking website, and it doesn't look like a writer's website, which I like. I like that it looks completely different from anything I've ever seen. Thanks. Um, it's I didn't like you know like code that by hand or anything it's a like a template from cargo collective which is like similar to squarespace and stuff but then mm -hmm. just like modified it a little bit to like make it look how i wanted yeah, yeah i think that's the uh cargo collective i think shabby dollhouse started on there yeah i think it's a good i i like their templates they look a little i don't know they look i, I guess this sounds dorky but like, like a little more techie and like cool than like DIY, yeah. you can um build build a like templates and stuff but like it's cool in that like like i they also are built in so it's just like i would not know how to like make my website look good in like desktop versus mobile but that that already exists in there like they already have those different sort of ways that you can switch and view in that have you do you code i don't code um i know like some basic html from honestly making like you know my like little personal expression web pages and like Tori Amos mm. fan sites back in the day. Well, um, you made a fan site. I did make a I did make a fan site to Tori. Tori Amos. Yes. What show yeah. was, she, was she on? Like, I don't know. No, I think oh. you're thinking of Tori Spelling, who's oh. an actress. Um, Tori Amos is a like a singer songwriter who plays piano and sings. Oh, oops. What's one All of her good. Like, famous song? um i would say one of her most like famous songs is this song like cornflake girl okay yeah what, but um you want to sing I, it no i do not okay. i do not think i have a do you good do, singing do you do karaoke with your writer friends 
I will do karaoke if like that's the activity of the night, but I don't think I'm as um, enthusiastic about it as some people are. It's just like whenever somebody's like, like what well, you want to do something night and like somebody's like, let's do karaoke. Like I'm, I'm, I'm probably being not the person that said that. <laughs> you made, you made a podcast. You made, how many podcasts have you had? You did the Moby Dick one. I did do the, the, the Moby Dick podcast for Moby Dick summer. Yeah. How'd you come up with that? idea i guess because i saw on um i saw on medium you kind of had a, a small account where it seemed like you're kind of like experimenting with that idea where you kind of just did a few posts and then it seemed like you were waiting for something else to come along uh i can't even remember that i was maybe just doing some testing on medium or something mm-hmm. <laughs> um but uh the well for the moby dick moby dick summer is this like sub stack that i did where it was like the concept was like me and anyone that subscribed was going to read Moby Dick in a full summer, um, mm-hmm. like from Moby from Memorial Day to like Labor Day ish. And so it's like you it's spread out. So you got like sends of the publication um, Monday and Wednesday. And then like I would just like write like a recap of the reading in like my own voice on Friday. Or it sometimes would alternate with like this Moby Dick mini pod, which was like a podcast of, um, you know, another writer or something like talking about one of the chapters that they liked that had been in that prior week's readings. I thought that was just like a different, a cool thing to to do for that um, publication and to hear from other people that weren't me. And also like part of the reason I wanted to read Moby Dick in general was because I knew that so many writers or friends of mine like loved that book. So I got to talk to some of those people. So that was cool too. Isn't that like a canonical book? Do you try to like read a lot of canon books, I guess? Um, I believe it is a canonical book. Um, I don't necessarily, not really, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I think that not like a, I think some of those books are really challenging, right? It's just like, you really have to bring the attention. And it's also like, like some of them I don't know like I'm not saying like you know I'm fine that they are out there and like that they're appreciated for their time but I don't particularly want to spend um my time reading them either it's yeah. just because it's like a it doesn't feel very relevant or it's just like exactly like but, I don't know like I don't know I'm just gonna like shit talk some old books or something that's just like but like you know like um you know like like that's the scarlet letter by nathaniel hawthorne or something or some of his yeah. short stories it's just like you can kind of get it summarized in a paragraph like what that book is about and its themes and like um you know uh what why it's relevant today today or something without like reading all its prose but like moby dick was one that i was just like i kind of heard was still relevant to today and was like also a really great reading experience and really still like you know a banger of a book like uh and it was honestly like it's it was like i honestly don't think it would that also was an accountability thing where it's like i had to stick with it because people have subscribed and were like participating yeah um but i'm glad i did because i really it was a really rewarding experience it is one of those books that is from the canon but i think is still super relevant today super enjoyable read in in parts there's some parts that are, are difficult to get through but just like they're really seemingly boring or something or just kind of repetitive but and it's also super um there's some parts that are super contemporary right like it just Mm -hmm. just like the tone or the humor or it's like super queer or just like 
um, you know, or just even the attitudes, like you can just sort of apply. It's so like written so um, open that like you could almost apply like what he is writing in certain parts to like anything right today, like yeah. climate change, for example, even though it's probably not what he was thinking about. Like, yeah, and I think that's that's really the test of a good book, an amazing book, right? When it's like you can sort of it can sort of be relevant to any time because it has this sort of openness to it. And and it even addresses that in the book, like that it, it wants to be a, a text that is still to some extent being written by its readers. So well, yeah, it's I pretty like, good. It's pretty good. <laughs> I like what you did with it though, because I feel like if you were to read it on your own, it it would be maybe a great experience but you took it and you put it on this uh, you know the internet you made a platform for it for people to you know socialize around and you kind of are corrupt corroborating with like other readers that are subscribing to this and you're making it a project and it's like something to achieve with all these other people and you have this podcast with it you brought like uh, sebastian on and you talk yeah with people it's, it was really cool what you're doing are you going to do that do you ever think you're going to do that again uh, thanks. Um, I don't know if I'll do it again. I might like cycle the rotation, like for the ascend, like uh, mm -hmm. like a lot of sort of uh newsletters that have done that have like just like sent it again. So it's like you can join in any time. Yeah. Um, and maybe do like a bonus material for that. There was like still a couple, one or two people that I would have liked to have gotten, and maybe uh can get them to interview this time. So just like do a little bonus material when it cycles around this year. Yeah. Uh th that's something that people have asked me a lot of like whether you would do this for like another book. Um I don't know. It kind of has to be the right book, right? I'm assuming it probably has to be like a classic of some kind. And the thing about like Moby Dick is it also just it like people call it like the quintessential American novel. And it it kind of is like it just like mm -hmm. the way that it covers so much just like that you could talk about like i don't know another book like that where it just like it has so it covers so many sort of definitively american things when you started it do you did you think that you would end up so like passionate about it because it seems like you're really into it and it's probably a good thing that you ended up being very passionate about because if it was the opposite maybe you didn't want to have wanted to end the project yeah no i i didn't honestly i was just like well i don't know I'll, we'll see this will be like a fun little summer project for me to do yeah. but yeah no as you can tell i actually ended up getting pretty into it and feel pretty strongly about the book so that was good because yeah otherwise i don't like doing things that like i'm just like slogging through to finish them so yeah yeah it seems like when you do a project you kind of you finish it and then you move on to something else that's one of the things i like about how you work and do you Thank have you. any uh do you have any projects in mind that you're going to do in the future um i feel that yeah i do i will finish things I, I like things that do like like that was another thing about that project it was like it had it, there was like a definitive end to it like it, sometimes it feels weird when like things that can kind of go on indefinitely like i feel like sort of the bushwick review is sort of in sort of a more like hiatus type place right now but that doesn't mean i wouldn't put another issue out and maybe will um but yeah i don't know i think i don't know what the, like the next like big project I have planned. I mean, while I'm like querying that novel that I mentioned, I'm also like, you don't want to just sit there. Like I'm trying to yeah. start a second one and like other writing projects. So with a Bushwick review, you said it's on hiatus. How long? Like, cause when magazines say that though, that means they've ended. Yeah. But it's just like, I, the, the thing was so small that it's not like, you know, like, it's not like book form saying they're ending, yeah. you know, right? It's mm -hmm. just like I, I. You can, can always go back to it. 
yeah, I can always go back and I think I also would still like I would still definitely do like a reading under the like the name of the Bushwick Review or um you know uh what would I what else things would I do like other just sort of like more events type things or maybe like a like a one-off idea like I you know if there was like a brief podcast I wanted to do or or something oh, else like totally under the name podcast. yeah <laughs> How have you felt doing like I feel this podcast has been a rewarding thing for you maybe something you started to do but now you're kind of like really really into it oh it's awesome yeah yeah i'm trying to do I'm trying to do like one once a month because i feel like that's a good schedule otherwise i get overwhelmed although also a lot of people they maybe i shouldn't talk about this they do agree to it and then like the day of they'll cancel and then that's kind of disheartening and that's hard yeah. to, that's hard to take on but then i find like it's fun to do pod. It's fun to interview people that I don't really know at all. Cause I feel like I get more enjoyment out of that than someone that's like real big. But then like, I do get enjoyment from like interviewing someone like Lucy that I consider to be like a real big deal. And also I don't know if she, she thinks of herself as a real big deal. And I've noticed that with people, they don't think of themselves as highly as I think of them. Oh, yeah, I think I think most of the, our mutual pals are like very, very humble for how talented they are. So I wanted to ask you, you were uh, a freelance. Do you want to keep going? Are you OK? Yeah, I'm OK. OK, so you were like a freelance writer and you wrote for like AOL and uh, some other publications. Did you ever want to write? Did you ever was any of your goals to like write for Vice? Because I know a lot of people like freelance writers were writing for Vice back like the last 10 years. I feel like probably during that era, I would have like wanted to write a piece for Vice. Like, who wouldn't have? Like, that was they were like ruling during that time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I never did. I, I don't even. I don't think I ever even pitched them or something. I think one of the things that's hard was hard for me about freelancing is like, I think if you freelance, right, you have to. I mean, it's hard for a lot of reasons. But one is that you have to really have a lot of ideas that you can pitch. And I don't have a ton, a ton, a ton of ideas. A lot of those things I did when I was a freelance writer were on assignment. So what what's the process like for like a freelance writer? Um, well, I'm not a super authority on it, but I would say that there's a couple of things for freelance writing that you can do. Um, one is you can like pitch outlets. So if you have an idea for a piece and you find um, a place that you think is a good place to pitch it to, say like Vice, um, you would pitch your story to the editor at Vice and then maybe like uh also like, you know, a, a brief bio or something so that are like our links to past clips so that they know that, you know, uh like your writing history and that you know that will probably help in your direction as well um and then sort of the other thing like for freelance stuff is like you can kind of get like a freelance writing gig or um you know like if you were to have like like that aol thing i think i just had like a sort of permalance like gig writing certain pieces for them based on assignment and then um also i mean i think once you sort of have an established reputation with a a a publication they will sometimes reach out to you like hey tyler like um you know you wrote this like really great sports piece uh a few months ago and I, we want to cover this uh athlete so maybe we thought you were the right person for the job and do you do you write the piece before you pitch it um you mostly don't because it's like time and money it's like mm -hmm. if you have an idea for it you want to get the pitch to prove before you put the time in um, sometimes people will though. It's just like 
because especially if like you're you're a new writer for them like and you've already like written it out like okay well at least they can immediately have it you know and, and then they can see that you can write and stuff so i think there's situations where people will do that stuff could you write it and then they pitch you pitch it and they say no can you take it to someone else yeah i think you can definitely do that okay. um it's like uh yeah like i think i mean there's a whole world that i think there's some places where you can simultaneously pitch a story to places um and then also there's also like things where it's like in a way that like sort of submitting your short story to places is kind of different it's like sometimes pitches are kind of timely right so you do need a yes or no pretty mm -hmm. quickly so that you can at least take it to someone else or you know the story may not be relevant anymore or something right was that process grueling or did you enjoy it i didn't once again i didn't pitch a ton um mm -hmm. uh like uh but uh yeah i think it, it i think most people find it like there nobody's saying like this is really easy right it's yeah. like i think it's like there's a lot of rejection like with any writing it's it's sometimes not great pay especially if you're starting out um and yeah you have to like also like with any freelance thing you you have to be sort of really rigid and disciplined about your time you know mm -hmm. with the bushwick review back to that um would you ever go like make an online version I think I would, but I'd want it to be sort of, there'd have to be something special or cool about it. I'm not really sure what that is. Like whether it's just like, it like was a really great looking website or mm -hmm. um, I don't know, something that like, there's a lot of on so many online publications right now. I'd want there to be something special about it or something. What are your favorite like looking uh, literary websites? Oh, that's a good question. Um, obviously uh peach and shabby dollhouse i think are pretty great and not only do they look great but they have really great writers and knowing um michelle and lucy a bit like i know they just work to make that happen um what other websites do i feel like have really good um uh, uh websites um i feel like i yeah i mean i didn't really prepare this question so i'm just kind of like blanking but i feel that uh, I just saw that like Writer Die, uh, like merged with this like chill subs site, and like their new mm. website looks pretty good. Um, would you ever start a business with Lucy, Rochelle, and other people? Uh, I don't know about, I don't know if we would want to start a business business, but I would collaborate with them at any time on anything. Yes. You wouldn't want to start uh, what, a business like if they came. What, to what, are, you, what are you envisioning as a business? Like a book, like corporation that was like run by you guys, where you like marketed and published books, and you all like put your money into it, and you tried to grow it out. I would do that. Yeah, I would. I would do that. And there yeah, could be like a full time be... job. I think. Um, but you all to... have like the expertise for doing something. Well, thank like you. Um, uh, I think we would have to, it would take some serious uh, work to make that a full-time job, I think. Yeah. And then Aiden could do, like, the finances. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, I think. But, I mean, yeah, working on putting someone's book out with the, the two of them, I think, would be uh, really exciting to do. But I think also um, another site that I think has a really nice 
look to it and also publishes really good work like for a literary journal is um no tokens journal do they do a like real magazine like a I think, I think they used to do a print publication but okay. they they stopped because it's it's hard um, yeah yeah it's a lot of money too how costly is it because like witchcraft she said it was like a thousand dollars to like print the issue oh yeah i mean witchcraft is great too that's the thing but like i think witchcraft is primarily print right they don't have well now have... she's gone on to a, a website i think oh nice yeah stop doing print she went, she has a really cool website too, just like her personal oh, yeah. website. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, um, it depends, but like it depends on how many you're printing and mm -hmm. how many like like the size of the magazine and stuff like that, like the type of printing that you're doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, when we did Bushwick Review too, it was like the cost of printing was like thousands of dollars. Yeah, so it's like Jesus it's Christ. it's not something that you can just like you know if, if you have to like like and for me i've talked about this before it's just like uh me and um my friend tim who did the shook review with me like we just like split the cost and like we had we have like full-time jobs it's just like what we want to spend our money on we knew we were probably not going to make it all back but it's just something that we love to do so but yeah that's not an option for everybody did y'all make a profit on it no, definitely, definitely not. Okay. We did not make a we did not make a profit on it, um, especially because the other thing that happened with the last one is it got released at the end of 2019, and I had planned to sort of table that uh, magazine at like a bunch of different fairs in the following year, and that did not happen, obviously. Oh yeah. <laughs> Shit. So if if COVID hadn't happened, do you think you'd still be doing? the Bushwick review or were you planning on already like kind of putting going on hiatus um i i feel like sort of with everything with covid i think um it would have maybe been on hiatus but like the hiatus came faster because of covid you mm -hmm. know yeah but i i think i actually think that i think that something will happen with that in the future i don't know quite what yet but i don't i don't feel like i abide by anyone's like like timeline to like when this needs to start up again or something, you know? I saw like on your LinkedIn, it said you like worked on like award shows and shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did uh, um, one of my day jobs. Uh, I worked on uh, like at a production company and uh, we, one of the things that they did was like award shows, like um, I'm trying like the Nickelodeon kids oh, choice awards wow. and um like some like YouTube awards. Like thing. the Webbies? Yes, and like the Webbies was one too. What was that like? Was that like fun or was that like just a boring job? Um, I feel like, like there were some things that were fun, right? You know, like to some extent when you're in any sort of stressful sort of work, big work environment, the fact that you just like, I don't know, hold it together and act somewhat professional i think it's like wow i really just give myself a clap on the back that i somehow persevered to do that mm -hmm. but um uh you know and you know there was like famous people there or something i guess that was like kind of cool or just certain like experiences that were like weird and fun like for one award shows we um uh me uh, actually the reason i know him mac who was one of the uh people in the radio play he worked with me at that award show and one thing we got to do was 
like sort of arrange this like xylophone accompaniment thing for like these backup xylophone players to play like that were with the band okay go at the time like that's oh, wow. just like a fun weird experience but honestly mostly no i think it was like uh really brutal long hours um it was like you know uh you would just like get home at like especially when the award shows were not every day sometimes you got at home at regular hours but sometimes you know you when the award show part was in swing it's like you're getting home at like 1 a.m or something and like there's not a choice to like not do that right like i just didn't even know right that like i could do a different job you're just employed in it and but there kind of isn't right because it's like also if you say yeah this is messed up they'll someone else they'll just someone else will just take that role you know it's like yeah so yeah i don't miss working that job. i know it's, and it's not super super well paying considering what it is either any hours you're working so i would not be looking to go back to that field so that you get treated like shit yeah and some of them yeah some of them like some people were very nice in that environment mm -hmm. so i'm not like knocking that but yeah some people were totally what you're envisioning like the yelling and the you know the sort of screaming and stuff which is like i'm glad that we're sort of like calling out that that's like totally not okay work environment to have these days yeah have you ever written about that stuff like it, it, because you've experienced maybe you don't want to go back and put it into a novel i know it's not even that it's just like it's not like it's not like oh it's so upsetting to me i can't revisit mm -hmm. it i just don't even think it would be that interesting right it's like yeah there's a way that like i think it's really hard to write about like work i do per too se, in a way that is exciting right yeah because i worked on an eye crew for five years and like people were asking me like oh you should write about that and then like i don't want to fucking write about that shit it's so boring to me and so tedious um it might be interesting to someone else because they're not in that job but like that's the last fucking thing i want to write about right exactly right it's just like how can i don't really think i, I don't know how to make like a a thing like that interesting or something something yeah. something too close to reality i think is really hard to make interesting for me there's other writers yeah. that i think do it really really well yeah they do it awesomely it's like well because like so many writers do it so well that people think that like it's easier that's what you should do because other writers do it but like it's like you know a magnet when you're trying to put a magnet together and you're just like adverse to fitting it yeah yeah well yeah i think i think there's a good I think when you like have writers that you admire, I think there is actually something to try to imitate them at first, but obviously you will learn that you're probably not going to be able to succeed at that. Yeah. <laughs> when you were in high school, were you writing? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I was, yeah. Like in journals and stuff? Yeah, I think um, I wrote in journals. I wrote like short stories. Mm -hmm. um, um, I wrote on my live journal a lot, which is actually oh. what the, the, the novel that I, um, the novel that I'm querying is about. It's like very much about the early internet and live journal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so definitely always had like sort of ambitions, writerly ambitions. What's your live the beginning. account? Uh, I am not sharing that okay. <laughs> on this podcast. All right. And it, it probably wouldn't even work at this point because so the concept of the live journal for me was um i would make these like sort of photoshopped collages and um sort of just like use like sort of poetic writing uh on the collage you know and mm -hmm. sort of just like be expressing myself that way this photoshop collage with words but that though i i visited like a while ago and like 
also all those image links are broke, right? So it's just like it's just like you don't have anything there. You have like a broken graphic. Uh, you should try to use the Wayback Machine. I have, but it's like it can't. It can dig a few things, but it's yeah. like literally so like. You remember like those weird like image hosting sites and stuff. Like it can't. It can't even dig like that a little bit. So yeah. Did you have a live journal or something? I like did that? not. I was trying to find a Rochelle Tamir knows, but sure, you're trying to find her. Well, I was trying to. She was gonna. I was gonna interview her, and then she. It did not happen. It might. It may happen in the future. Nice. But I was trying to find research on her. Well, I don't think you'll find mine because I don't think I even use my real name or something. So that that was kind of the, those days too, right? You'd use like a pseudonym or something. Well, it's probably K R and then the number ten, and then the letter N. If you can find it with your, then go for it. <laughs> okay. Would you want to like build like a social media? What like don't don't you build or you help uh, with the Substack? Uh, I work for Substack. That's my day job. I'm a support team lead there. I would not. If your first question, would I want to build a social media network? Yeah. No. <laughs> I think that would be a lot of work. You think it'd be cool to like make a, a novel like online that was like told through social media? I mean, I think so. I feel like there are like a lot of really cool internet novels out there like that. Like, um, I mean, the book that I just wrote is like written through like live journal posts, uh -huh. right? So it's like an epistolary novel to some degree. So it's kind of like the El Nash. Yeah, right? she did something similar to that too. I haven't read it yet because I also like, you know, it's just like, I like I do want to read it, but like I didn't want to do it while I was like finishing up stuff on that first book. But I think mm -hmm. her, her book also just like has maybe comments and stuff like a, like a, and things like that. This one, it's like just the voice of the person posting. Um, and, but yeah, there's a lot of really cool internet-y novels. I think I've done really cool stuff. Like uh, uh, No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. Uh, that one, it's like, it's sort of very much about Twitter, but like it, it almost takes on the brain that you have when you're on Twitter. I think it's really, it's kind of doing a really different thing as a, as a, so why do you think the internet, like internet stuff is so popular? Because I guess because we're all on it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's like what you're constantly thinking about. But I also think it's, once again, it's the same thing with like talking about work. Um, uh, like, it's kind of hard to reflect the day to day. I think it's like, it's much easier to write about the internet by writing about like, something like a platform that existed 20 years ago versus yeah. i think it'd be very hard to write about like TikTok or something i mean i'm not even on it but you know it's like it's too close to the immediate reality yeah when you're like working like so you work at substack are you looking for like the next like big tech thing are you a big like, like tech person i'm a mid tech person i guess okay. <laughs> but um i'm not necessarily like looking for the big the next big tech thing i don't think i have the foresight to necessarily predict like what that is but i do sort of know what people are like the new apps that people are trying to make happen sometimes i guess i don't know when you moved out from brooklyn was that like a or bushwick was that like a big like shift or change because you lived with so many people um so i the living with like four people apartment uh mm -hmm. 55 morgan um 
I moved out of that place and moved to another apartment in Bushwick that had only two roommates. So that was a like lot less, lot more chill, a lot more relaxed. Like when I, I had a reading on the rooftop of the, of that um, building uh, with like some shabby doll and peach folks. Um, I think it was like the peach goth tour or something. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was the second apartment, and that was what I was moving out of. So I was only moving out from like two roommates. But yeah, it was a it's a it's a change. Is it difficult to write when you're like living with like four people or two people? Yes, I will not two. I mean, I was like they were chill, and I I'm still like really good friends with those roommates. Um, hmm. And I'm I'm good friends with the ones that, or I'm friendly with the ones that were the four people yeah. house. But it's like, yeah, that was really challenging. Like um, when there were people that were like didn't even like have traditional jobs and were like coming through on like ketamine at 2 a.m on a tuesday like what that was that's just i mean that's life distracting anyway but um uh also just yeah i mean like my and also my room was so small i like couldn't even like have a a bed and a desk in there so i would often oh. like write at my kitchen table and like that's a public space right so it's it's not um it's not like a it's not like a totally private, like you're in the zone writing things. So that's like, I think it would also write at like cafes and stuff during the time. I also at the, the, there was a job that I had for a little while. I worked at meetup and they were eventually acquired by WeWork, which, you know, like WeWorks are those co-working space things. And part of that deal was everybody got like a WeWork card so that they could just um, work in WeWorks anytime. And I did that too. I was just like, well, I'm just gonna be in this we work at 8 p.m. or something because in my apartment is very popping off. <laughs> did you do any drugs? Um, I didn't I never really did like hard drugs like the those people did. What so, about not hard drugs? Um potentially. I don't know if should I say stuff like that? I mean, it's like, yeah. I, no one's yeah. listening. <laughs> no, I know it's true. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean everybody said, but yeah, I never was uh um I just never uh, hard drug user but so marijuana uh, you've done yes adderall yes i have done that do you take adderall um i don't take it regularly i don't have like a an, an add prescription or anything but i don't know i i definitely loved it when i could get access to it when i was younger because it's like it's completely my type of drug um mm -hmm. in terms of like i i i don't really like sort of like get like a, I'm not like a person that's like gonna smoke a ton of weed and then like just chill on the couch. Like something that can make you like productive and like be like sort of like coffee times two X. Yeah, that sounds great. But like I wouldn't really want to pursue that path too deeply because it, it, it obviously, as you know, it can be super super addictive. Oh yeah. Um, have you done cocaine? Only a small handful of times. What? So yeah. Can you talk about that? It's not really that exciting. I, yeah, I don't. it is. You do you hope. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, back in the day, it's but it's not, it's really not exciting. What it's year? Like, I don't know. It's like 2013 or something. I don't know. I really don't know. Honestly, it's like a lot. It's like over 10 years ago at this point. So was it's it at like a party. Yeah, it was just like it was offered at a party. And you like snorted it off like a table or a marble countertop. Something like that. Yeah. But what, uh, what's the effect? I would like? never, I would, I would. I mean, honestly, I didn't feel like that much of an effect where it was like, um, you, ah, know, it was, you know, like for well, yeah, it's just like, uh, you know, you're just like, it's sort of like taking 
extra Adderall or like a ton of coffee or something. It's like, oh, I'm awake and suddenly I can, um, you know, talk to people and stay up all night or something. But I, I can tell you, I also would never, I mean, I would never do it now for many well, yeah, reasons, but, but also, person. yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah, like younger, like as people are, but also, I mean, it's just nowadays, it seems like it's so dangerous because it's like so laced with potentially other stuff, you oh, know? Yeah. Did you do it like a literary, like reading? No, I never did it. And like in a literary reading context, I, it was only in just that like the, the roommates I had at a time were pretty into stuff like that. Are so. they drug dealers? No. Oh, okay. Did you meth? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not do meth. <laughs> Wouldn't Would that you? be such a, a, a huge surprise if that was like, you know, but uh, no, I would, not, I, would, I would not do that. Okay. Have you done Vyvanse? I don't even know what that is, Tyler. Oh, so that's just, uh, so that's like Adderall, but it's just like it releases over the course of the day. Oh, okay. So with Adderall, you get the peak. Slow release, Addy. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it like takes about two hours to hit and then it goes throughout the day. Yeah, I have a prescription to Adderall and Vyvanse because I have ADHD. Do you have ADHD? Uh, I, I actually did get um, diagnosed with that when I was younger. Yeah, but mm -hmm. I don't. But I never just, I feel like at the time, so then you were prescribed a medication for that at the time, but yeah. um, uh, it's just like, sometimes like you just fall off it and you're just like, I don't know, didn't pursue uh, take getting a the prescription renewed or that diagnosis or something. So it didn't have a large effect on you, like not taking it? Uh, no. I mean, though, like obviously tapering off that prescription can be rough. Oh, it is rough. Yeah. I mean, I've never tapered off of it, but you know, there's a shortage right now and there's a few weeks where I didn't have it. And it was, like, it was pretty hard. Yeah. No, I, have some, I have some friends that have experienced that kind of stuff too. And that seems really rough, especially if you're, you know, like, yeah, like functioning at your job or at school can be kind of reliant on that. So it's really scary if there's a shortage. And we have a few more minutes if you're cool with that. Yeah, that's wanna, fine. Yeah. If your life, were a video game would it be like a 2d scroller or like a 3d platform like mario 64 i think i would do 2d i think i have like i feel like i have sort of a analog loving vibe so let's go with the old school type of game and what would the trinkets be that you like have to collect i think uh i definitely like sparkly objects you know things that are like mm -hmm. holographic so maybe something like that, but it's not money, right? I don't, I don't like this, like collecting coins or anything. Let's, let's, let's remove, let's remove the, yeah. the capitalism from the equation. So like, like pieces of paper or like, yeah, just like something like shiny. That's like fun to collect, but like, you know, looks cool. Do you prefer reading short stories or like novels? I like reading both of them. Honestly, I'll usually have like a bunch of books going at the same time. What's your favorite like books over the past year? Over the past year? Or um, three months. Um I'm trying to think. Uh I'll mention some that I've liked in the past few years, I guess. Is that fair? That's fine, yeah. Um I really liked a novel called Hurricane Season by Fernanda Melchor, I think is how you say your last name. Um uh I really liked Women Talking by Miriam Taos. Um, 
and I liked Preparation for the Next Life by Atticus Lish. And that's like those are those are books, some of my favorite books by people that I I don't know or are friends with, right? Because then, then I want to. Oh, you don't know Atticus? I have met him, but I don't know him personally. Is he pretty private? I think he is like pretty private. I don't think he like gives a lot of interviews or anything like that. Or I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe I don't know what to agree with private he is or not. How did you meet Bud Smith? Uh, Bud Smith, um, he came to a Bushwick review party once. And then um, he just like kind of messaged me like about a few things after, you know, like obviously I met him at the party, he's super nice. And um, then like at one point, like I did like a little video trailer for like a project of his, um, shot some author photos. And yeah, just also like, he is a super, super nice guy and just like, someone i'm really happy that i'm friends with and I'm friends with his wife ray and yeah just like also just about hanging out he hosts really great parties at his place in new jersey that's like kind of those parties where it's like um you know you go and the vibe is good and it's like you end up talking to people that you don't even know and it, it but it feels really natural and he's also a very very talented writer and i, know, I like his i like his a, approach to writing very much as well are there any questions you would like me to ask that I have not asked. Hmm, I don't think so. I think you. I think you've. It's been great, and also, yeah, I think you're doing a really nice job on this podcast. I think you, um, really like. You can tell that you like prepare a lot and and ask a lot of like thoughtful questions of people. And I don't know. I think you really approach um, whoever you're interviewing. It's like or like you approach like sort of reading and stuff from like. Like sort of almost the, a really fan reader's perspective and i really relate to that like i, I like even people i am friends with i still like i'm so totally fan out about their books and the work and the yeah. stuff that they're doing i think it's important to be like a fan and be still like excited about writing because there's so many i don't know like publications or podcasts where it just sounds like they're like bored to death to even be like interviewing someone and that was always a problem when i was younger like just there's not representation of just like being a, a fan being excited about someone's work i'm i'm totally with you on that like i think i don't know if i'm going to be starting a podcast or not but it's like uh i that's the only way i can really talk about books and stuff or like with either whether i'm talking with the writer or i'm talking about them like just talking about the book to a friend or or to you it's like i don't come from like a super academic background yeah of books so it's it's from a perspective of like you know, somewhat, yeah, from genuine enthusiasm, like a, a fan as a reader, and also just like someone whose like speech is just totally riddled with like, like, LOL, like, like, mm -hmm. like, 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 you know, it's just like, that's the yeah. only way that I can really talk about books, I feel. But I think that's probably relatable to some people. So, yeah. And who do you want? Who would you want to hear like me interview next? Like Sebastian, Caroline, anyone else? Definitely, I want to hear Sebastian and Caroline. I am really excited about all the books that are coming out. Are you like, I can't remember. Have you ever like read, um, like I said, have you ever gone to some of the events in person or you just mostly in? No, I live in Tulsa. I'm not. Yeah. I'm yeah. Not so that's why we got to have some big online events for this too. That's, yeah. even though if they're not as cool as in real life, we got to have some Zoom stuff for this too. Oh, yeah. But oh. um, so yeah, Sebastian and Caroline, I think, are the big ones. And then, I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully you can reschedule with Michelle. I think she'd be a great yeah. person to talk to. Dude, 2023 feels like a very big creative year. Like everyone's creating shit. And like, it's just, we're like just vibing off of each other. Don't you agree? Um, 
I I agree. I'm really excited about what people are doing for 2023. I think, yeah, for your podcast and for the books that are coming out from folks and stuff I don't even know about yet, you know, yeah. what people are doing. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. It was a, a pleasure. You're yeah, awesome. thanks, Tyler. Thanks. That was really great talking to you and getting to know you a little better. You Sounds too. Good. Bye. See you. Bye. That was Kristen Belsetti, editor of Bushwick Review. That was awesome. I love that. Um, and you guys should check out Caroline Rainer's The Moan Wilds and Sebastian Castillo's Salmon comes out pretty soon by Shabby Doyle's Press. I will talk to you guys later. This was this was a pleasure. This was an event. This was exciting. This was a delight, a delicacy, a a great time. I was a little bit more tired than I usually am. A little bit more delayed because I was up uh, all night last night doing an assignment for a class. I tried to get excited about this. And my brain was a little bit delayed. My brain was a little bit held back. And I wasn't uh, and I was a snap. You know, usually my brain's all snappy and I go from one thing to the next. This one, there were a few times where I had to pause and recollect my thoughts about where to go. And that's always the scariest part when I'm in an interview. I'm in an, in, in an interview and I forget where I'm at and there's a pause because it's for me, I'm afraid that the person thinks that I haven't done the research or I don't have anything to say. And it's a bit of a hell. It's like, what the fuck is going to happen next? I got to get things back on track. But I like the long interviews. That was great. I'm going to find her uh, live journal. Also, I can't believe she did have co cocaine. That's crazy. I'm going to check out some of those writers. And I would like to do more podcast alone. I'm trying to do podcast alone right now. I've recorded several. I just don't feel like they're at a great point. They're not really at a point where I think people would really listen. And I got to work a little bit harder. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. This was excellent. This was fantastic. And I, I think this is an episode that's going to go right up. It doesn't really need any editing, I feel like. All right, check you guys later. Bye.